Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Culver Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hey, this is Michelle Dawson, and I need to update my disclosure statements. So my non-financial disclosures. I actively volunteer with Feeding Matters, National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, NFOSD, Dysphagia Outreach Project, DOP. I am a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents, CSAP a past president of the South Carolina Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, SCISHA, a current board of trustees member with the Communication Disorders Foundation of Virginia, and I am a current member of ASHA, ASHA SIG-13, SCISHA, the Speech, Language, Hearing Association of Virginia, SHAV, a member of the National Black Speech, Language, Hearing Association in Basla, and Dysphasia Research Society, DRS. Additionally, I volunteer with ASHA as the topic chair for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2023 convention in Boston, and I hope you make it out there. My financial disclosures include receiving compensation for First Bite podcast from speechtherapypd.com as well as from additional webinars and for webinars associated with understanding dysphagia, which is also a podcast with speechtherapypd.com. And I currently receive a salary from the University of South Carolina in my work as adjunct professor and student services coordinator. And I receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow Truth, Science and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, as well as compensation for the CEUs associated with it from speechtherapypd.com. So those are my current disclosure statements. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Erin Forward, and these are my disclosure statements. I receive a salary from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. I receive royalties from Speech Therapy PD for my work with First Bite Podcast and other presentations. I also receive payment for um, sales from the First Bite Boutique, which I have with Michelle Dawson. For non-financial disclosures, I am a member of ASHA and a member of Special Interest Group 13. I also am a volunteer for Feeding Matters. I am a contributor for the book Chasing the Soil with Michelle Dawson, which I received no financial gain. I also am a member of the South Carolina Coalition Committee with ICDL-DIF for time. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely.
Okay, hello and welcome to First Bite. Today, we don't have Michelle. You just have me, Erin, and I am excited. The title, which I always forget what I title these episodes, we're talking about mentorship and pediatric feeding therapy, what we have to learn as mentors and mentees. And I'm really excited because I get to have one of my favorite people on the podcast today, Taylor Anderson, who we have like a funny how we, I guess it's not funny. It's kind of funny how we met story that, which involves Michelle just being Michelle. And I can let, I don't know. Do you want to tell the story? We'll tell the story afterwards. But Taylor was kind of my first, and I don't like to call you a mentee because I feel like we mentored each other, but you were one of the first people that I really was able to learn about how I like to mentor, but also somebody who like really got the way that I think, which I hadn't really experienced since Michelle, but that was just a very different relationship. And I think I very much needed Taylor in my life at the time, especially with therapy and to be able to watch her grow and build her confidence and just hone into the very grounded, kind, and intuitive therapist that she is was just a very, I felt very honored to be a part of that because Taylor just has really great instincts in herself. But I think it's always helpful to have somebody that can see that in you and can just almost tell you you're right when you're right, I think is what we all need. It made for a very easy mentorship experience, but I think we both learned a lot. And so I wanted to have Taylor on to talk about our experience of building that relationship. Granted, she is now one of my very best friends, which is not what happens with every mentor-mentee relationship, but we're lucky enough that that's what happened for us. And so I kind of wanted to pick her brain and she's taking on a role in her position now where she's going to be going to start mentoring people. So I think it's, and in pediatric feeding therapy, it's such a niche, a niche part of what we do as speech pathologists. And so that's the question, Michelle, and I get the most, I think, is how do I get mentorship? How do I find a mentor? How do I mentor people in this, this section of what we do that there's not as much information that we get in grad school? So I will let Taylor, I'll let you introduce yourself. Michelle and I love a little background knowledge of how you started as a speech path or going into speech up into, you know, what you're doing now. First of all, thank you for that warm welcome. All those kind words. I don't even know what to do with all that. And likewise, back at you. I, we've been talking about doing an episode for a while and I think I was a little hesitant about it, but then you brought up talking about mentorship and this is like, I've had such a positive experience with you. This is really just to warm her up, y'all. She'll be back. <laughs> I tried to pick new topics too and she's like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for that. So we're still building the mentorship. <laughs> yes. You know that I have significant imposter syndrome like many of us, unfortunately. And I was like, Why, what do you want me on this for? What am I going to share with the people that listen to First Bite? What do I have to offer? But mentorship is, I think it's such a big deal. And we had such a great experience that I'm so happy to talk about that and encourage others to seek out mentorship like we have. Okay, so a little bit about me. I am an SLP currently working in Tampa from California originally and kind of made my way across the states via a grad school in Boulder and then a couple of years in South Carolina and ended up here. I've worked in mostly outpatient settings, early intervention, private practice, home health. And my special interest areas are feeding, parent coaching, AAC, all the things that you guys talk about so often on the pod are the things that, you know, fill my cup and and guide my practice too. What made you want to go into speech? Yeah, how I found it. I worked with kids for a while. I was a nanny and just knew I wanted to do something with kids. I thought maybe a teacher. I kind of bounced around different ideas was a child development major for a minute. And then one of my kids that I nannied for was getting early intervention services. So he had OT and SLP in the home. And once I saw those sessions, I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I need to be doing. And funny enough, I thought OT first, that's kind of what I was leaning towards. And then I was a bit overwhelmed by OT and speech seemed 
more, I was like, this is just, this is just about talking. This will be, you know, more simple. And turns out I could not have been further from the truth. And actually what I love most about speech is how complex it is and, and how broad our scope is. And I think I ended up in the right space. Mm-hmm. And we, I feel like OT is very, you know, they can, they work on activities of daily living, which can involve pretty much anything, but communication and feeding are so all encompassing in our day. So it's different level of that. And I think what was really cool too with our journeys is that we were going through similar trainings too. Like we took our, the TBRI trust-based relational intervention training together. And then I was taking some floor time courses and then you started taking, well, actually we took our one-on-one together. We did. Yeah. One-on-one together. And so it is really cool to be growing your knowledge and understanding with somebody because it's almost like somebody that gets you and knows you, you're then able to take what you're learning and processing and filter it through them a little bit, which I think we did for each other. And Taylor ended up at the private practice that I was working at because- Well, should we tell the whole story? Yeah, we'll tell the whole story. Yeah. People, people like the story. Okay. And it's just such a classic Michelle thing that I feel like it needs to be shared. I was in my clinical fellowship working at a, a clinic in on the coast of South Carolina, not where Aaron was. And I knew like right from the jump that I wanted to go into feeding. And as a lot of us know, it's hard to find a mentor or a position at an entry level going into feeding. So I kind of just took this job and went about it on my own and was seeking out my own resources and listening to podcasts and reading books and taking courses and just trying to figure it out. And one of the podcasts I was listening to was First Bite. And I remember on one of the episodes, you guys mentioned South Carolina. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're here. They're in this state. And I reached out to Michelle. I think it was about, I think it was about billing. I just kind of cold messaged the First Bite Instagram handle. I was like, I'm a SLP here in South Carolina. I'm just so lost when it comes to the CPT codes and diagnosis codes. And I don't know how to ethically and appropriately bill for my services. And she was like, here's my number. Give me a call. Let's talk about it. And she was just so kind and supportive and helpful and guided me in the right direction. And I told her that I was living alone there. And she just (laughs) kind of was like, here's my number. Here's what I'm doing next weekend. Come up to my place, like meet my boys. We're going to, it was during the holidays. We're going to make cookies and look at Christmas lights and so I did. And I spent a day with Michelle's family and it was lovely. And we connected right away. And she was just exactly what I needed. And I was so excited to to just have someone in my corner that I could go to. And because I was desperately seeking that, I was just so hungry for any kind of guidance related to feeding. And then I think it was like a month later, she called me and was like, okay, so Aaron's at this practice. They're hiring. This is where you need to be. Aaron can mentor you. Like I just, this is where you need to be. This is where I see you. This is, this is what needs to happen. So I just, I applied and got the job and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing this and I'm, I'm moving. Michelle says, this is where I need to be. This is what I'm going to do. And it ended up being the best decision. And I'm so grateful for Michelle for just kind of taking me in and pointing me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I remember she called me and she goes, so I invited this girl and she's going to come up. <laughs> going to do all these Christmas things. And I was like going the next weekend, they think. And she's like, you love her. She's so great. And Christian, Michelle's husband, like he just, you know, Michelle just is, is so welcoming and lets all these ladies into her house. And Christian just kind of sits there and he's quiet and he observes and he like takes it all in. And then he's kind of the protector of like, okay, I observe this. And after everything goes away, he's like, okay, Michelle, and kind of has his thoughts on it, but you got the Christian stamp of approval, which is not everybody gets it. And it's a good balance. No, I remember. And I think I definitely was in your interview. And I just remember you having just a very like calming presence. I remember when, so I have had conversations with the woman that Taylor works for now. And I remember one day she's like, Taylor, listening to Taylor is like going to a spa. It's just like, I wish I could listen to Taylor all day because it's just, (laughs) 
but it's true. You have just a very like, I think it's so subtle, which is why kids gravitate towards you because it's like, you're not trying, like you're not trying too hard. You're just kind of being who you are. And I remember I sat in your interview and I was like, okay, like I could just, you just have a good energy, like your vibration. And so I was like talking to our boss at the time. I was like, I just like her. It's like, I just like her. We just need to hire her. (laughs) And thankfully they listened. It was a very smooth process. It was, the feelings were all mutual. I, I, yeah. Which is something I would like to start with in regards to kind of the mentor-mentee relationship or seeking a mentor. Because I will say, especially in the world of pediatric feeding, be like you said, people are so desperate for information and knowledge that I think oftentimes people will, if they get any opportunity at a mentor, they're going to grab it, which I think is valid. But I think there are certain things that are really important in a mentor that may be missed initially. And I, and I equate it to as I was looking for jobs, I think when I was first looking for jobs, there were certain criteria I had. And as I went through and went through different interviews and, and went through different jobs, my criteria has changed. And it's changed more to like what my core values are as opposed to what's the setting what's the persona of the setting and, you know, what patient population am I going to see specifically into more, does this organization have the same core values as me? And so I think when you're looking for a mentor, yes, you want to find someone that is doing pediatric feeding, but you also want to find someone that you relate to and connect with. Because if you're really going to dive into being the best therapist you can be, you want someone that also understands you and relates to you. And there's value. I've had mentees that I haven't, I've had to learn a lot from in the way of we didn't communicate the same way or they wanted feedback in a different way. And there's so much value to learning that because not everybody is is wanting the same type of mentorship. But that core value piece, I think is so critical because it can really affect your experience. I think initially when I was looking for a mentor, I, yeah, it was just, just seeking, you just want anybody because there's just not a lot out there. But I think you're right in that it's so important to be mindful of who you align yourself with because there, there's a lot of shenanigans going on out there in the feeding therapy world. And that was something that was very important to me initially was to find someone who was engaging in the kind of therapy that really resonated with my values and my own approach. And I was at the time, very much in the space of educating myself about neurodiversity affirming practices. And and I was learning so much about why compliance-based approaches and, and approaches based on behaviors and why all this was harmful. And I didn't know like what else to do. And I wasn't seeing a lot of people doing the kind of therapy that I wanted to engage in. And I was just like, I don't, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I don't know what this is supposed to look like when I met you and saw the kind of therapy you were doing. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. This feels good. And I think that's just also like a gut thing too, when you meet someone and start having those conversations and you can just kind of connect on that level and, and know that it's a, it's a good match and it aligns because otherwise it's, it's, yeah, you're going to, you won't be as productive of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there are any, and I was trying to think as I was like writing this episode too, of any like misconceptions of like what that relationship has to look like. Cause I will say, and to everybody out there, I realize I'm incredibly lucky with my experiences, both as a mentee and a mentor. I had Michelle who was kind of placed in my lap. I had a placement with her. We connected. She's mentored me in different ways. And then my experience with you where like we do just really connect and relate to each other. And it was a pretty smooth experience because of that. But I understand that that's not the norm. Right. <laughs> you might not become best friends with every you might not become best friends. Yeah, really like that's true. Yeah. You might not start a podcast. You know, these are, <laughs> I'm not the norm, but I have watched other relationships. I have had other relationships with mentors and mentees that maybe didn't go as well. And I guess one of the misconceptions that I really find is that you have to have this strict mentor-mentee relationship because I think if you have a good mentor, 
they will also view you as a mentor. If you are in a relationship or an experience where you feel like it's just constant instruction and there's not as much of that back and forth and trying to see where you're coming from, that would be a red flag to me because you want a mentor who is also trying to learn as well. Right. Yeah. I think when I came into working with you, I did have that idea that like I was going to come in and listen and watch and learn and you were just going to dump this knowledge on me. And that's not what happened at all. You didn't come on strong with like this all-knowing presence. It was right from the get-go. It felt very collaborative. And like we both were on this. I think it also helped, like you said earlier, that we both were on this path of diving into trauma-informed care and taking four-time courses. I think that lent itself to like being in that space of we're learning together. We're, we're on a team and we had so many great discussions because of that. I think the way that you were able to be vulnerable right back to me, because like as a mentee, you're in a more of a vulnerable position and, and you have so much to learn and you're looking up to this person, but you, you like would say like, I don't have all the answers either. We're learning together. And you modeled that by taking courses and seeking information and having your own mentorships and reading books and articles. Like, it was very much a two-way street and, and a partnership. And I always felt like I was supposed to be there. Like my opinions were also valued. And it, I think it's something that is super important in a mentor is the ability to like help your mentee find, come across an answer on their own by guiding them there instead of telling them directly what to do. Like, I think it was, it was very rare that you would say, try this or do this, or I think this is what's happening here. More often than not, you would just ask me questions like, what do you think would happen if this? And I wonder why this is going on. And do you think it's this or this? Like that like gentle guiding to support my own critical thinking as opposed to you just telling me what to do. That was really huge and something I didn't wasn't expecting because it hadn't been my experience in the past with mentors. But yeah, you seem to always know like when I was truly stumped and when I maybe knew the answer and I just needed you to walk me there a little bit. <laughs> Which I... Also, before I decided we would do this podcast, I was like, oh, I guess we are going to talk about how now I'm like nervous as like what I was doing as a mentor. Oh, gosh. I've gotten reverse feedback, though. Like I've worked with people that have said, well, you don't, I just want explicit information on what to do. And what I say to that, though, and, and I don't mean for this to come across as negative at all. I think if you're going to work with pediatric feeding, you also have to be willing to use those critical thinking skills. And Michelle and I have had the conversation a lot about how, you know, I mean, she's teaching her pediatric feeding class in, in the university or, you know, when she taught at South Carolina where she was before. And she's like, my biggest goal is to teach critical thinking skills. And it's similar to how I do therapy, how I know you do therapy and that my goal isn't to get a child to do a specific thing. My goal is to help them learn to be able to work through that process when the next opportunity comes or when the next challenge presents itself. And so as a mentor, I really want to help the people I'm working with come to their own realizations because also that's how you learn and then are able to do that on your own. My goal as a mentor is to continue to grow the relationship so that it becomes this partnership. So that it becomes this, we're working together and we can bounce ideas off of each other and you feel honest and authentic in the decisions that you're making because also we're all different therapists and who I don't want to make a bunch of mini me's. What I want is people who use evidence-based practice in an ethical way, in a neurodiversity-affirming way, but interact with children in a way that feels genuine to them. And I'm not the therapist for every family, but I am going to be a genuine and authentic therapist when I work with a family. Every family needs something a little bit different. And granted, do I think I've learned how to adjust and shift and read families to the point where I can kind of mold myself. But there are some families where I'm just not going to be their fit. And so if we're looking at like actual adult learning styles, sure, I can give you an answer. But if you didn't work through it on your own, then what's going to happen when I'm not there? And when I met with a mentee that really wants 
a direct answer, I then want to dive a little bit deeper to see where their confidence level is, why they feel that need for that answer, and is there still a way I can help you work through it to come to a conclusion that might not necessarily be exactly what I wanted, what I would have done, but also there's more than one right answer. So I think that's another thing to consider. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking how many parallels are between how we navigate these relationships with each other and with our clients. Like I was just thinking about how I'm on this kick lately about declarative language and, and with our patients, like using more declarative language as opposed to directing them on what to do. And it's that same idea. Like I could tell you, go get your shoes on. Or I could say, oh, all of us, the kids in the class are getting their shoes on. Let me just point this out to you. And you make the decision. You get yourself there because that's going to, that's where the learning comes versus just telling someone what to do. And it's the same thing in our practice. Like you could tell me what to do, but am I going to be able to arrive at that same idea on my own at a later time? Or am I going to be able to use my own critical thinking skills to know when to do that again and why I'm doing it? And we also know like, and pediatric feeding and adult dysphagia is the one place of our field where you can, I mean, you can cause emotional harm and trauma and, and stress and anxiety in any part of what we do, which is why you and I are trained in trauma-informed care. But like physical harm, you can cause in the context of pediatric feeding based on the decisions that you make. And I need to trust as a mentor that you are working through things in a critical way so that when a new diagnosis, I mean, I work with kids, especially in the hospital that I'm in, that have diagnoses that I've never seen on top of diagnoses I've seen with comorbidities that the combinations I haven't seen. So you're never, I think the under, what mentees need to understand too, is that you're never going to have all the answers. And I think you need a mentor that also helps you feel comfortable in that, that there's never going to be a point where I'm like, okay, you're good. You know, everything you need to know, have at it. I need to know that you can think critically and find the resources and have people. I mean, I reach out to people all the time that I know know things about craniofacial that maybe I don't have experiences on or have more experience with like neuro, like having your people and helping you build that network is important. I would say I have people that have, you know, mentors and mentees that like I had a broader experience with. But I have so many mentors and mentees and continue to grow that relationship. Yeah, I was thinking about that, that trust piece of it. And that's something that I found to be really helpful in building my confidence right away, um, is that you gave me these patients. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like, I have these patients. And you're like, you got this. You, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to be here to support you. But like, you can do this. And that was a huge thing for me. Also, because I had been in, I've had mentors who will have you sit back and watch and observe and just discuss it afterwards and not really get in there. And the fact that you just trusted me to just get going, but you were, you were there with me. I wasn't, you know, on my own. It was, we were, um, we were doing it together, but I, I felt like that piece of it, like gave me so much confidence and made me be, become independent faster. I remember my favorite thing is when. I would be, because I had the like front room and there was like an area that had books and a table and like a little kitchen um, place. And some, and Taylor and I are also very like, I would sit on the swing and write notes or sometimes I sit on the floor, like, and you know, we're, I'm, have my own neurodiversity um, and my own sensory differences. And so like, you know, the clinic we worked at was very accommodating for kind of how you want to use your space and how you want to be productive. And I would like have a patient and I'd see Taylor, like who didn't have a patient kind of sit and write her notes like near. And I'd kind of leave the door a little bit open. And I knew she was taking it in, which like I loved so much. And I was like, this girl, like (laughs) really wants to like, I just, you were craving that like knowledge and experience and just kind of absorbing it and taking it all in, which I think as, you know, as a mentor, there are very little things that you are watching in someone. And it, and again, part of that is that like, 
uh, if you're going to do this part of what we do, you're going to spend time outside researching diagnoses and reaching out to doctors and calling nurses. Like it's a lot of extra work outside of the session. And so what I look for in somebody too that I'm mentoring is like, are they taking that extra initiative? Are they, are they wanting to learn outside of what I'm teaching them? I've had people I've worked with who, you know, I will kind of, I I also like to, and Michelle and Michelle taught me this. Like I remember sitting in Michelle's car before a session and she'd be like, okay, this is their diagnosis. I'd be like, okay. And she goes, let's look up their diagnosis. Cause she, again, was showing me, you know, I haven't seen a child with Wolf Hirschhorn before. Let's look up their diagnosis. Okay. Let's problem solve. How do we think this diagnosis might impact their feeding? And we kind of go through it. So I, you know, have some of my mentees, like kind of look at diagnoses of a patient we're going to see, write down how it might affect them, write down what patients are seeing. And I've had mentees I've worked with where it's like, they just won't do it. And to me, that might say like, okay, do you not feel that this is valuable? Do you not care? There's just like very subtle things that I think, you know, mentors pick up on. But I also think, Taylor, you're onto something with the way, like, I do really feel the relationships I try to foster, and I think you're the same with other clinicians, is similar to how I foster relationships with my patients. And that point of building relationship and trust. Like you also have to do that before you're really going to get to the vulnerability and being able to have some of those conversations and anybody deserves that. So it's like, I think we were able to build a trust very quickly just because intuitively, I think we understood each other and that doesn't always happen, but I want to learn about a person. And I think there's this misconception too of like, don't get emotional be very professional. It's like we're working with humans and it's a very emotional thing. And so it's okay to have feelings and show them. And, you know, the people that I've gotten closest with, whether, you know, it is, I think most of the people I work with that I really connect with, I view as mentors. I view Taylor as a mentor also. And so those are the people I've been able to go and cry to after a hard session or just vent about some caregiver that like, it's not their fault and my fault, but I'm just not connecting and I don't know how. And I think those are also the moments that make you a better clinician. Yes. Information, medical etiologies, diagnoses, who to refer to is so important, but I think that's more valuable. I I think everybody in that clinic had cried in your office at some point because you just always had that you had the best office space and it was just such a warm <laughs> environment to be in. And I we just all knew that it was a safe space to go and sometimes messy. let our feelings out. It was, uh, it was sometimes messy, always messy. Always messy. <laughs> yeah. I also, I love sitting outside your door and observing just to circle back to that because I love observing sessions. I learned so much from just sitting back and like removing myself from the interaction and just watching the dynamics or like, the dance that we sang for time, like watching that all happen. I learned so much from it, but yeah, back to that, like this, how this um, is very similar to how we engage with our patients. Like you have to learn your patient. You got to, you know, connect and, and figure out who they are. And it was the same thing with us. I think knowing your mentee, knowing their communication style, knowing what kind of support they need, what they're going to respond to, what's going to, you know, excite them or inspire them. I thought of how we are different in the way that I'm very much an internal processor. Like I need a lot of time and space and and quiet to like think about things and let everything digest before I'm ready to discuss and ask questions. And whereas I feel like you're more of a verbal processor, like you like to talk things through, but you, you knew this about me. So we would do things like your evals. I remember observing your evals. I remember asking to write them. I was like, can I, can I watch this eval and then can I write it? Cause it's going to help me. So that's another piece of it. And knowing, knowing yourself and knowing what's going to support your learning and growth. I knew that like, if I sit down and I think about something and I, and I write it and I put it in this eval, like that's going to help me. And then I'll be ready to go to you and talk and ask questions and discuss the case. I'm not, I can't, I'm not that person that like right after a session, I want to go talk about it and talk it through. Like I need some time. And I felt like you were very 
aware of that and we're like when you're ready you know, let me let me know when you want to talk about that one or if you have questions about it like you come to me and that was super helpful but yeah that just comes back to knowing the people you're interacting with and oh my gosh I remember just going into your office sometimes and being like oh my god Erin what do I do what do I do with this one case like we had some some complex cases and some emotional ones and it's like the stuff that you're not taught in grad school. Like how do I navigate these family dynamics or there's all this trauma here and I don't know what to do with this. And I always felt very safe and comfortable and and going there with you and having those conversations. It always felt like a very open and and honest environment to, to really dig into that stuff. And if we had had more of that professional, you know, cold hard lines, that kind of discussion might not have happened. Yeah. And I think like we have said, this came very naturally for us, which is why we're still best friends. But if it doesn't, there there are opportunities to have those conversations about how you like feedback, how you like to learn, how you process things. Because I knew these things about Taylor, I knew that when she did finally come to me and and want to process something out loud, she had already really gone through it in her head. Those are things I knew about her. Me, on the other hand, when I go to somebody, like I'm processing it as I'm saying it. So like sometimes I just need someone to like hear and and maybe even say back to me what I'm saying just so I can process it in a different way. And the people that have mentored me, like Taylor, um, know that. And But for in starting a mentor-mentee relationship, I think it is important to – kind of write down what your expectations are and talk about how you like to learn so that there is that groundwork almost for the relationship. And any relationship can change. Like you have a right to, this is the same with like any patient I work with, like, or a caregiver. You can, uh, you know, we can go down a path of working on this specific thing. And then you could say, you know what, actually, this happened or I want to shift the focus. That's okay. And you have the right both as the mentee and the mentor. So don't ever feel like any groundwork that you set in this relationship is set in stone. And goals might change too in interest areas and having that ongoing conversation of like, okay, I'm feeling comfortable in this. I kind of want to lean into this a little bit more and and being yeah super communicative about you know what path you want to go down and making sure you're both aware of it. And I think you are also a very self-aware person. When you grow in these relationships too, you're going to learn more about yourself. There's like, you know, emotional intelligence quizzes that you can take that help you learn more about, you know, how you process information and what you benefit from. And, and those are all things to think about as you go through these experiences. You know, I've had mentors that I think when you go into jobs, oftentimes you will be assigned a mentor. And, or a supervisor, I guess. But you know, you in that role, they sometimes become mentors. And I've been given mentors that was not a great experience um, that involved what I felt like I wasn't met with as much kindness towards my ideas. Um, I wasn't met with a lot of openness in regards to change, which that I'm learning is a core value of mine. After that experience at a job, I went to the next job and they asked me what was important. And I said, it's important that someone's open to change. I have had experiences where I've been what I would qualify as bullied, where I would qualify, where I had to sit down with my manager and eventually um, HR and say, I did not deserve to be treated this way, where I had to list you know, things that I felt um, were unethical And that was a really, really hard experience. So while I'm sitting here saying, you know, I've had these great experiences, I've also had not great experiences and that those not great experiences taught me a lot about myself. So if you're sitting here feeling like, okay, well, you know, this is a lot harder than you're making it sound. It is. And I've been there. Um, But that's why this core value piece is also really important, I think. And I would suggest maybe you know, when you start that relationship, like what are your mentors core values? Like what are really important to them when it comes to therapy and how they like to do therapy and how they like to mentor? If there's a huge disconnect that can, um, 
that can kind of cause some problems sometimes. But that is not something that I think is the usual to talk about when you first build that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very rare to find these great matches in within your workplace. And sometimes you have to look outside of where you're at and, and seek your mentors, find them. They don't have to be in your direct environment. That's something Michelle said during our first phone call, because I was kind of venting about not having support where I was. And she was like, Taylor, you can find support. You just have to ask for it. You have to look. There's so many amazing therapists out there that are more than willing to give their time and, and, and knowledge and share it with newer clinicians. So yeah, don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid to ask. I think Michelle said, go find your mentors and make them your friends. And I did exactly that. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna find people to support me because yeah, you don't always get lucky with, with your immediate environment, but there's people out there that are that are passionate about bettering our field and, and lifting each other up. We're, we're a field of helpers and, and most of the time people are, they genuinely want to support and, and mentor others. So they're out there. What would be some suggestions you would give to somebody who is looking for a mentor, who wants to get more into pediatric feeding, who feels a little like lost? What would be some of your go-to like tips? Find an errand. Just kidding. Find yourself an errand. <laughs> no, but truly like find find your people because that's that's everything when you're a new clinician and you're just on your own, just trying to figure things out and, and not knowing where to go. There are so many resources out there. I'm a big, a big podcast gal. So there's so many podcasts you can listen to and, and yeah, just reach out to other people and, and stay hungry. You got to like, keep, keep looking, don't give up. And I think if you're in a space right now where you are feeling lost and like it's it's not the best environment for you. I know I went through a little phase where I was like, do I stay in this space and be the change here? And if if I abandon this environment, am I just giving up where I could be making a difference here because I do have something to offer that they don't have right now? Which maybe, but if you're depleted and uninspired and you're alone without guidance, you're not going to be able to make those changes. So make moves. If you're unhappy, make a move, make a change. It's, it can be scary, but it's, it's worth it to, to find that environment where you are supportive, supported and fulfilled and, and have those people that do share your core values and align with, with what you're trying to do. Cause there's nothing, it's so hard to be in an environment where you're going against the grain. And I feel like that's, that can be a lot of us in a lot of different ways, especially if you're a a very play-based therapist or a neurodiversity affirming therapist. Like there's so many environments where we're just swimming upstream sometimes and that can be so exhausting and just, it can really just suck all the fun out of this job. And so finding people that are on that journey with you is, is everything. Yeah. And I would say too, and this is coming from like, I had this mentality before, like be open to different settings and environments than maybe you thought you wanted. Like I think there is a little bit of a misconception that being in the NICU or and yes, I work at a children's hospital right now. I'm not this is not knocking children's hospitals, but like I think especially in feeding there's this idea that like being in a children's hospital is like the most hardcore and the best place to be and I will say like there are value and hurdles to every setting that you're in. I mean, when I did home health with medically complex children, like there's no doctors there. There's not nurses standing right there. Like there's a whole other world of problem solving and decision-making and it's, it's different, but it, it can be just as valuable and just as much opportunity to learn. You're just learning different things. And so I would say to think about like who you want to be as a therapist. And I know Taylor and I can get very like, you know, <laughs> vibration. Like, yes, I but I think there's there's value to that. Like, who do you want to be and what is important to you as a therapist? Like I've learned that like having a space to build relationship with my families and having a space to really work on play and being able to be authentic and vulnerable are all things that are really important to me. So that's something that I look for in, you know, people that I choose to build those, those relationships with. 
Taylor, what were things that you were like looking for in a mentor or what are things that specifically for you and for clinicians in general that you would think about as kind of what you wanted to see? Yeah. Um, I just want to add one more thing to what we were talking about before. Don't be afraid to look outside of your discipline too for mentors. Um, there's so much to, to learn from OTs, PTs, you know, any, anybody else that you're working with. Parents? Yeah, caregivers have mentored me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you don't have any SLPs in your immediate environment, you can. There's all kinds of opportunities for mentorships. Um, what was I looking for? I don't know if I really knew what I was looking for until I had it. And uh, I'll just try not to just talk about how wonderful <laughs> working relationship was. But I think I figured it out as I went. I like I said, I was just super hungry for guidance and information and I thought I wanted someone to tell me what to do and I realized very quickly that that was not how I learned and I needed to to just dive right in but yeah someone with a similar therapy approach that I had I think was top of my list I think that partnership piece of it was huge for me being able to have those reciprocal conversations where what I said was also valued and and the way that you kind of always lifted me up and made sure that I like you still do this all the time you're like Taylor you got it you know what you're doing <laughs> I still need that so again it just comes back to again knowing what you need from your mentor the communication piece is huge being really open and honest about what what you need and what you're looking for and and being honest with yourself like these are some areas I want to grow in these areas I feel pretty competent in and then seeking out that information and communicating that with your um, with your mentor, what else haven't we touched on? That fostering independence piece, I needed someone to kind of let me spread my wings and do my thing. What are you, okay, what I was going to say, now that you are like looking to mentor, what are things that like you either are planning to like do or focus on or like what have have you learned to then foster like those relationships? Yeah, I'm so I'm currently working at an amazing clinic, Speak Outside the Box in Tampa, and I am the only feeding therapist right now, but others are starting to express their interest in it. And I'm actually getting really excited about this prospect of paying it forward and, and building a program where I have others on my team and we get to grow and learn together in the ways that you and I did. And I think I was putting that off for a bit because I was like, I'm not ready. I don't know enough, but like you taught me and like we've been discussing, like we're always learning. We're always growing. You're never going to have all the information and you're actually doing a service to, to others that you're training. If you're showing them that, that, you know, we can, we can learn together. So I think that's a big piece of what I want to pay forward. I think this idea of being, being flexible and knowing the therapist that I'm working with and knowing that they might need different support. So, I mean, I hope to create some kind of I'm working on some kind of plan like we did with our scheduled meetings with different topics to cover and different, you know, a trajectory of observing versus, you know, working up towards independence, but also knowing that that's going to look different for different therapists and being flexible and, and trusting that process. I think stepping into the other side of this now, I'm realizing that it is hard to trust others and like hand over your patients, but it's so exciting because we get to share this really cool thing that we do and, and share that light and know that, that it's going to reach so many more families because of that. So it does feel like an honor and a privilege and something I want to be careful with and, and and spend some time thinking about. But I also know I just need to, to do it and get started because, yeah. Well, it's like with anything, you just learn and you just are a person who is going to be very intentional with what you do. Um, I think that's a, an, another thing to consider. And I, I, I think it is hard when people, especially like new grads coming out, like you, you're used to grad school where everything is like, you have to check these boxes and you're constantly getting graded on things. And so I do understand that there needs to be some level of like, am I meeting these requirements? And that's why I kind of, when we were doing mentorship, like created a little bit of like a, okay, what do you feel comfortable with? We're going to start with observing and build up to being independent and kind of create an expectations of like, what are these skills? But I didn't look at it as much as like specific, like, do you know exactly what to do with 
this specific diagnosis or this specific treatment technique. Um, it's more of, do you have these larger skills, but then also providing opportunities like we would have journal club or we'd have, you know, read Michelle's book and talk about it. And so it's, but I also want to know how, and I think it's important to know how your mentee is absorbing that information. Like, what are you getting from this too? Like what, how does this, and I remember when we would like talk about Michelle's book, it would be like, okay, you'd read something and then a patient would come in and be like, oh, I remember something in the book. Let's go back to this because the way our wires connect things are different. And so, yes, our job as a mentor is to provide information and to make sure we're, especially with feeding, helping them understand the medical etiologies and who to refer to and what signs and symptoms to look for. But I do think that really where that mentorship piece grows is in that relationship and understanding how that person learns. And that's what I think everything comes back to, honestly. Like I, I am a little tired of the idea that especially in feeding, it has to be this like you have to earn it and we're going to haze you a little bit. And, you know, that's not how this should work. There are enough patients for everybody and then some. So if you really want to make the field better, then share knowledge and be open to people that really want to do this and want to learn and take every opportunity to learn something. Like I said, from, from people you come across, I've learned a lot from caregivers I've worked with who have helped me understand their perspective, who have made me a better clinician because I've been able to hear their stories and, and it's given me more, um, kind of empathy for what they're going through. And I've had patients that have mentored me that have, and, and plenty of other clinicians. So it's like, take every opportunity to learn from the people around you and take pieces of them with you because, you know, who I am as a clinician today are pieces from all these, these people that I've had experiences with that have helped me grow. And so, yes, we're talking about a specific mentor-mentee relationship, but like, I'm also a better clinician because of Taylor and like the way that she saw things that I was able to see things differently and like the kindness that she showed her patients and like just the, like I said, I think your intuition was all, which I trusted you so quickly. You had this great intuition that you just needed a little bit of like a push to trust it. And just like, not even always, I think sometimes you work with mentees who do something and they don't always know why they're doing it, but they feel it. And so part of your job as a mentor is then to be like helping them understand the why, which I think was a lot of what we did. Yeah. And that's something that I think as a mentor, I can, this will be helpful to me as a mentor because I don't always know why I'm doing something. But if I have someone there that I'm explaining it to, like, I don't think I know. And then I start explaining myself to a student, if I have a student with me or whatever the situation is, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I understand this. And then it's, you know, you're hearing me process it out loud and I'm, you know, realizing it more for myself. So it's just that reciprocal learning that's just happening all the time the more you discuss things and I learned a lot from just listening to you do that troubleshooting out loud just talking through cases and patients and figuring out like okay that's interesting she did that that was you know this is her patient I I can apply this here or this makes sense here or you know just grasping bits and pieces of, of things you were discussing and applying it to my own situation and I think yeah it is that that balance with feeding because like you said we can do harm and especially if you're working with these medically complex patients like you have to be there has to be some level of competence you have to know what you're doing the biggest thing there is like knowing when to ask for help and knowing when you don't know and some people struggle with that piece and I, and that to me would be a red flag and in, in, in a mentor like not being able to recognize or call out like okay I actually don't know what's going on here let me step back and, and figure this out there's no harm or shame in, in asking questions and not knowing the answer. Like you got to be vulnerable in this job. You got to be able to, you know, put your ego aside and, and recognize when you, when you don't know. Yeah. That's when I've had a hard time trusting people that I've meant like that's when people will not ask questions. I have a, I don't understand. I'm having a hard time grasping what you're thinking and B, I don't trust that when you have a patient that maybe you don't know what to do with it, you're going to come to me and ask. Like, that's a big 
factor, I think, is asking those questions. And that's why I love students too, because you're like, okay, wait, you have you had this question, either I can explain it or I need to dive deeper into why I'm doing that. And and the same way you said, I think like model for your mentee that because we are in a field where we're constantly learning. I'm always being mentored. I'm always learning new things. If I model that for the people that I'm mentoring, that shows them that I'm also, it, it makes it more accessible too, because feeding feels like this thing that we can't touch. I think when, when you leave grad school, like, this is so scary. I'm not going to be able to do this. These people that you know are doing it have so much more experience. And it's like, they may have more experience, but they're always going to have something new to learn too. So don't be afraid to start that and then have people to support you while you're doing it. There's so much, so much of this job is just on the job learning. And I mean, we barely scratched the surface in grad school. Like you're supposed to have questions at this. That's part of the the gig is, you know, it's lifelong learning. It's there's always going to be something new. There's always going to be new research, new approaches. Like it's constantly evolving. So you have to get really comfortable with the idea that you're not going to do everything right and you don't have all the answers and, and it's okay. Yeah. And like we said, competency on the, there's a lot of stuff that like, yes, you need to be competent on. And yes, we're going to check those boxes. I think we just really wanted to focus too on like building that relationship and stand up for yourself as a mentee too. Like if you feel like, I have had friends who have had experiences where they've been given like a CF mentor that the relationship was just not mutually beneficial. It was not healthy. And they went to their supervisor or manager and talked to them about that and advocated for that. Because if you, I, you know, I've had, there are people that have experiences. I mean, my experience I mentioned earlier, like I was sick to my stomach every day going into work. I was crying every day leaving work. And that's not okay. We do this is not the something that we need to keep allowing in our field. We need to support each other. We need to lift each other up. We need to lift our field up because if we're doing this to each other, it's helping nobody. And don't be afraid to have those conversations to, you know, write things down, to stand up for your value. Yes, if someone is mentoring you not in the workplace and out of their own time, they're doing that for the love of the field or, you know, helping you learn and grow. And and you want to respect that. But at the same time, like you're also providing your time and giving something to that as well. Yeah. And I think that goes beyond just mentor-mentee relationships to just, you know, this job in general. And that's on that note of self-advocacy, that's something that you really modeled for me when we were working together, especially when it comes to like feeding versus language therapy and and advocating for for time and resources and compensation and support for the work that you're putting in, um, in this, in these niche areas. I took that forward and have been in situations where I've advocated to be compensated appropriately for this, you know, skill and experience I have or for more resources or whatever it is. And I feel comfortable doing that because I watched you do it. And I think that's something that is hugely valuable in a mentor to to model that for your mentees and, and show them like sometimes you have to stand up and, and ask for what you need. And it's a tough thing to do to have those conversations, but, but showing showing your mentee that you can do that is is huge and I'm yeah grateful that I got to see you put in that work because I now feel comfortable doing it for myself yeah I think it comes down to pick people that you value more than just what patients they're seeing and where they work pick people that you value how they talk about what we do and that you value who they are as a person too um I think that's really important and don't ever hesitate to reach out. Like if the people that really want to help in our field really want to help and they will answer an email or, you know, be like Michelle and tell you to call them at seven o'clock in the morning uh, on their way to work or just provide guidance. And, and those are the people you want as your mentors. So if you do reach out to somebody and they don't answer or, you know, 
that you have a gut feeling about them, then they're probably not the right person. Even as a clinician coming out of grad school, place value on yourself and who you are and what you bring. Because if you go into the relationship feeling like you're not providing anything, then that can set you up for a negative experience. And yeah, I think that there's lots of resources out there in regards to mentorship. Um, I really love that I was in the ASHA Leadership Development Program, which did talk a lot about mentorship and, and growing that. ASHA does have a program that sets you up with a mentor again. Like I think they, they try and do the best they can for like interest area and also just how you want to be mentored. But there's, that doesn't guarantee that it's going to be a perfect relationship, but setting those ground rules and groundwork, I think is really helpful. Um, I love the crucial conversations book, which was really helpful for me when I had to have difficult conversations and certain experiences. And there's, you know, I think gaining understanding of yourself and your emotional intelligence is also going to set you up better for any relationship because you're going to better understand why you do something and what you need to be able to kind of advocate for that. Do you have any resources, anything that you just have been dying to say that? (laughs) No, I think just find a mentor that find yourself an Aaron, find someone who lifts you up, builds you up, shares your light, trusts you. I'm so incredibly grateful that I had you as a mentor. I mean, I still have you now, but working alongside you was, was such a gift. I think having a good solid mentor is, you know, it has the capability of changing the trajectory of your career. So it's something that um, I think is, there's so much value in, in seeking it and, and finding the right person for you and holding on to that relationship. The SLP world is is small, so stay connected to people and, and yeah value those relationships okay you never know who's gonna know who who knows who like yeah you never know and that's why I think never underestimate like what one conversation or you know one experience could turn into um I've met and I think most of the people that have had such an impact in my life I've kind of just like it's been a gut thing you just trust yourself it's always coming back to trust (laughs) yeah and like trust your gut how do you feel around people like do people make you feel good I don't know I think there's so much value to that I even even subtle things I always talk about how when Michelle introduces somebody she'll stand behind them kind of at an angle and like try like literally her light is like she's trying to shine their light even her light is very bright but like you could she's literally just there's very subtle things that I think you learn as you get older too, to pick up on people, but just, you know, it's, it's tough. Like it's hard, especially in, in the pediatric feeding world. But I think our, what we really want to put, like get across is that, you know, it's a lot more than just learning how to do this and what this diagnosis is and, you know, those experiences and that you can get those experiences in a lot of different settings too. So don't just, you know, assume the home health SLP doesn't see complex kids or doesn't know what they're doing because we are seeing more and more complex patients than we ever have before. And they're everywhere and they need help everywhere. Well, thank you for coming. I am grateful to have you on and I'll make you come back because. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is such, this is just such a surreal. And Erin knows I'm a very introverted person and I think I'm an SLP anomaly and that I actually don't like to talk (laughs) or listen to myself talk so the fact that you got me to do this to talk for an hour and have it be recorded is is quite a quite a feat but you make it easy this was so nice I love you and I appreciate you I love you and all that you do and yeah we'll take like I if you haven't picked up. We have very, very similar philosophies. So I have been trying to recruit Taylor to kind of join me. We did it. I'm here. It happened. And now I'm making her do a (laughs) four time lecture live with me. So, you know, that's going to be a whole other step. Yeah. Yeah. Last note is find mentors who push you and keep moving you forward. And yeah. Yep. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I don't think we have any announcements that are coming up. Just 
If you haven't seen on our Instagram, Michelle and I have the First Bite Boutique with some fun t-shirts and sweatshirts. So feel free to check that out. Um, It's on Bonfire. So so cute. We will have more coming out um, sooner than later if Michelle has anything to say about it. (laughs) She's already got everything planned. But yeah, um, thank y'all for listening and we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us for today's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you are part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to reflect on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. 